Today we're going to continue our sermon series, To Be Continued. I need to think about that intro a little bit, Continue To Be Continued. Lessons from 2 Timothy, and we'll talk about why the series is called To Be Continued in a few moments, but if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 8 through the end of the chapter will be our key text today as we talk about guarding the trust. Guarding the trust. Now, when we think about guards most of the time, we think about people in a uniform, maybe armed in some way, maybe with some sort of, you know, look on their face, and they are uh, got some business or some property or something that they're going to guard, and somebody is paying them for their skill and their expertise to take care of something that is valuable. We don't often think about folks like us, that when we look in the mirror, that there's something we must have to guard. I mean, I don't feel too tough, you know, I don't have any uniform of any type, and I don't have any training to, you know, ward off bad guys or anything like that. But God has called each and every one who's a believer in Jesus to guard the trust. We'll define what that trust is here in just a moment. But if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do that as we read our key text today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and following. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And this gospel, I was appointed an herald, an apostle, a teacher. This is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him for that day. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, included Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well. In how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you as always for your word. And thank you for the grace that you choose to exercise to us. And saving us through Christ Jesus, your son. And providing us the Holy Spirit to help guide us and keep us from sin. And giving us your word to show us how to live. And it's our prayer, Father, as we study your word today, that we'd hear from you. And that you would speak to us about who you've called us to be as we guard the trust that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, thank you, friends. Our scripture memory verse of the month is on your bulletin. It's also on the big screen now. And let's say it together. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, 
but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 We've got something to guard. Most of us would say, I'm not a guard type. I'm not intimidating. I don't have the training. don't have the uniform. But we're reminded by verse 7 that God has given us the ability to exercise power, love, and self-discipline that is beyond ourself. It's supernatural. Above or beyond what is natural. Above or beyond what we can do on our own. Now, you've got two questions by means of introduction on your sermon outline. And the first one is this. What is the trust Christ followers must guard? You heard the scripture. Does somebody want to venture an answer out loud for the rest of us to hear? What's the trust that we as Christ followers must guard? Message of the gospel. And we're gospel. That we've been entrusted with the life-changing message of the gospel. And we're to guard that, i.e. preserve it, take care of it, treat it as if it is valuable, watch out over it. All the things that guard means, and we're going to talk about that further as we get into our scripture and exposition here in a minute. But we've got to, if we've said we've got to guard the gospel, then we need to define it. So that's your second question. What is the gospel? Now, before I ask anybody to answer out loud, I would ask you, just on your outline, by yourself, write your definition of the gospel. The best you know, what is the gospel? I'm going to be quiet and give you just a few seconds. John R. W. Stott, a theologian, preacher, and commentator on Scripture, said, The gospel is the good news of salvation promised from eternity, offered through Christ, given to all who receive. That's the gospel. Very simply stated, the gospel is good news. That's what it means. It's literally a transliteration. It's simply and literally that it's the good news. And what is that good news? That good news is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, that Jesus died for you. And if you desire to follow him for eternity, he'll accept you. And give you the right to become an heir and join heir with him. And a child of God. That's the good news. The gospel. And we're to guard that gospel. One commentator said that the heart of the Christian faith is good news. Not good behavior. Not good advice. But good news. It's not a matter of what you believe or any aspect of your theology, only that you place your faith exclusively, eternally in the saving grace of Jesus. One of my pastor friends in Arkansas, Randy Cox, said this. He said the gospel isn't Jesus saying you must change what you do, which is the way a lot of us act. It is Jesus saying, I must change who you are. That in Christ you are a new creation. And if you spend time in the word and time in prayer and you approach God with humility and are willing to repent of your sins and willing to ask God by his Holy Spirit to speak to you, to shape you into the character of Christ, then he will change day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, who you are. 
Jesse Norman said that the gospel is not something to look at. It's a new lens to look through. God gives us a new way of living. When we are changed from the inside out, we see with new lenses and we see life anew. It seems like um, not too long ago now that I got these new glasses. And, you know, because I'm getting older, they are progressive lenses. And when I first got them, I was freaked out, man. And the lady said I would be a little freaked out. She didn't use those terms. She used some sort of nice, you know, professional sort of terminology. It would take you a few weeks to get used to them. Because where I was used to having the same lens all the way across my eyes and having the same amount of, you know, focus or blurriness everywhere I looked, when I got these things, it's like right down the middle. And so when I look through the top, I can see distance clearly. When I look through the middle, I can see, you know, short things clearly. When I look through the bottom, I can read clearly without those other glasses. I mean, I was pulling glasses on and off my head all day long. But with these, I have one pair of glasses, and I can't say it's changed my life. No, it's not that amazing. But glasses with corrective lenses change the way I look at things for the better. Jesus gives us that kind of lens, and the gospel changes us that way, to look at things for the better. So let's come back to our scripture as we walk through verse by verse, phrase by phrase, verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 says, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Your first point there is that we are united in suffering for the gospel. Now, we don't like to hear the term suffering. It was four years ago after my knee surgery that I got a bicycle and I started riding. And I ride my bicycle. It's one of those road bikes, you know, with the handlebars that go like that. And I like to go far and I like to go fast and all those sort of things. But cyclists have this weird thing. They talk about suffering. I I don't know that other sports necessarily talk about suffering like road cyclists do. Maybe triathletes do since they're like stouter than cyclists because they can do three things, not just one. But they talk about suffering, that you've got to be willing and able to push yourself beyond where you push, think you can push yourself, and it hurts. And different parts of your body are going to hurt at different times, and you just keep going and you keep going. Why? Because you're not there yet. And why? Because you want to see how fast you can get there and how much you can suffer and how deep you can go. It sounds a little sadistic and weird. But frankly, it's amazing when you find out that you can go further and you can go harder and you can do more than you thought you did before. And even though you and your endeavor may not use the term suffering, you know that principle that you've got to push hard in order to improve. In order to get better at a skill, you've got to practice the skill. In order to learn something in school, you've got to be taught how to do that thing and you've got to practice it. In order to develop your muscles, you've got to push to the point of you can't push anymore. And then the next day you'll be a little stronger. And if you keep doing that, the next day you'll be a little stronger after that. Suffering is something all of us know. But let's talk about suffering this way. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of me. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Paul did some unique things in some of his letters. 
I mean, yes, he uses big words and big sentences and talks about deep theology. But right here, he coined a brand new word. First time, as far as uh, theologians and people know, that anybody in the Greek language ever is we transliterated. It's synchokopatheo. Synco, we know that, right? Like to synchronize, to put together. And then there's another co in the middle, but we know that preference, like with. Patheo, what does that sound like? Pathetic or pathology? Synchokopatheo means to suffer with me. Paul took three different Greek words and he went, put them together, kind of like the Germans do. So they get like one word that's a whole sentence, you know. Paul did that and he made a new word and he said that to Timothy right here. Remember, Timothy is his son in the ministry. He says, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, ashamed of me as prisoner, but join me in suffering. Why? For the gospel. But when you suffer for the gospel, it's not on your own. It's not for yourself. But look at the last phrase of verse 8. By the power of God. What did verse 7 tell us? God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And it's supernatural. And Paul says again here in verse 8, Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, not on your own. You can't do it on your own. If you're in 2 Timothy there, will you turn a few pages to your left and find Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul begins a prayer in verse 14, and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Verse 15, he defines that, from whom this whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. And then verse 16, here's what Paul prays. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And in, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness with God. When Paul says to us he wants us to be united in suffering, he says it's by the power of God. Keep in mind when he wrote Ephesians, that book we just read there with that amazing text about what Paul's prayer for us, he was writing that to the Ephesian church where Timothy was the pastor. And he's saying these same sort of themes about how we are to live as believers in Jesus. Let's move on in your scripture back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. And it says, who has saved us, that's speaking of God, and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Your second point on your outline there is the beautiful grace of the gospel. June 7th, 1997. A beautiful church out in the countryside. Tall trees all around it, rolling hills. Sunlight beaming in the frosted glass windows, beautiful flowers and candles and all that stuff. The church was done up like never before. And I'm the yahoo at the end of the aisle, nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rockers. And I'm standing there looking at that back door of that church. And the music is building. The back doors fly open. And there she is. I swear to you, I floated off the ground at that moment. 
that I was levitating as she, with her big old grin, walked down the aisle on her daddy's arm. He still scared me a little bit, truth be told. (laughs) That I was going to take the responsibility of being the husband to his daughter. That's why I was scared, because I knew how much he loved her and what that meant about how I need to love. Her middle name means grace. When I think of grace, I can't think of any better picture. God's grace to me in flesh is Melanie. The best one, anyhow. You all are great, too. I love you. But you know there's a special love I have for my wife. Because it's a divine thing that God has done to bring us together. And when you think about God's grace and the beauty of unmerited favor... Something you could never be good enough to earn. Something you could never earn no matter how much you work. That is a free gift. That's what grace is. And you think, God did that for me? He saved us. Not that we saved us. And He saved us and called us to what? A holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. The reason God saved you is He wanted to do something in you you couldn't do in yourself. He wanted to make you a trophy of His grace. He wanted your life to stand up in such a way that anybody looks at you and say, Man, there's something unique about that gal. There's something amazing about the way that person acts and talks. And is it love? Is it Graciousness? Is it kindness? Is it goodness? And all those Christian characteristics that flow through you as fruit of the Holy Spirit within you, that when people see your life, you're allowing that you are different. Not because you're trying to act different, but because you're allowing God by the Holy Spirit to walk through you. You're in 2 Timothy. Would you turn to your right a page or two to Titus chapter 2? Titus, another one of Paul's sons in the ministry. Verse 11 of Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. God's grace changes us. And the beauty of God's grace is something that we can celebrate and something that we can live and something that causes us to choose differently because of what he's done for us. We've got to finish up that passage there and back over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 10. But has now been revealed to us through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The Greek word there literally is that he abolished death, that it's no longer there because of what he did. So we've got that we're united in suffering for the gospel. The beautiful grace of the gospel. Now, your third point on your outline there is that our duty with the gospel. Again, most of us don't think about the word duty very often. We think about people in uniforms that are on duty. Police officers, firemen. 
those in the military, that when they are on duty to do their job, most of the rest of us just say, I'm going to work. We don't say, I'm going to be on duty. But we have a duty, a responsibility with the gospel. Look at verse 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard which I have entrusted unto him until that day, and I won't sing it. Thank you. Paul is talking about himself, that he was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. But he's given an example for all of us, that we too have a duty to proclaim the gospel the grace of God to everyone in our lives. That because the gospel has changed us and because its grace is so beautiful and overwhelming and amazing to us, that we should speak to others about it. That we should tell them regularly, here's why I do what I do. Here's what makes me who I am. And it's because of Christ and me, the hope of glory, that he has changed me and made me different. It's absolutely amazing. When we think about God's love, I can think of many scriptures, but one I want to share with you right now is Romans 8. So if you turn back through First and Second Corinthians, well, you get to Romans 8, verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from God and His love for you. And it is our duty, because of our relationship with Him, to share Him with others. Let's move to your fourth point. The fourth point on your outline is Paul's model for sharing the gospel. Friday evening when we came up to decorate for, well, put the tables and chairs and everything in place uh, for um, the chili cook-off, I was sitting across from Scott Hunter, and Scott is talking about these amazing links and extra steps he's gone to to customize this model of a car that he likes. And I'll let him tell you the details and how he did it. But I was like, that is crazy. How do you even do that? How do you know how to do that? Well, there's YouTube videos and he explains some of it. I was like, man, that's amazing. All of us can spend time on our hobbies and doing things the way that please us and look just right and feel just right. But what I'm pointing us to is not a model car and not a lifestyle of sharing the gospel. Look at what Paul says there in verse 13 and 14. He says, what you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying to Timothy again, use me as an example. And look at verse 14. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That pattern of sound teaching, it literally means a sketch 
that something can be built from, like blueprints. Paul is saying, remember the way I taught you, the theology I taught you, and the way I taught it to you. Live that way. Use me as a model. Remember, here in church is the reason we're calling this sermon series to be continued. Paul knew that he was at the end of his life, therefore the end of his earthly ministry. And he's saying to his son in the ministry, Timothy, you've got to carry on the ministry I've started. You've got to carry on teaching and preaching the way I have. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in verses 13 and 14. That our model, friends, you're not Timothy. But Paul still says to us by the Holy Spirit, That we're to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us. Guard it with the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the good deposit that we've been given that we should guard. With God's help, we can keep it secure. With God's help, it can change who we are in order that we might be part of changing who others are. Your fifth point on your outline is the faithfulness to messengers of the gospel. The faithfulness to messengers of the gospel. The church I attended as a teenager that was amazingly formative in my life, and that's why I'm so thankful that our church chooses to have on staff a student pastor and make that a priority. My youth pastor, back in the day we called him, Sam Jones, and Sam's still a good friend of mine today. Sam... Uh, always led our youth group every summer because he was a minister of music and youth. You know, that uh, difficult combination that uh, is hard to find, but some guys just excel at, and he was one that did that. That every summer we did a youth choir tour mission trip combination type thing, you know. So in the mornings we'd do mission trip stuff, backyard Bible club, or do whatever needed to be done wherever we were at. And in the evenings we would do concerts at churches or out in the park or somewhere. And it was amazing because, you know, no matter how timid you are, if you're part of the youth group, you're going on the trip uh, and uh, you're going to have a job to do and how it made you kind of get out of your comfort zone. And one of those things was, um, oh, by the way, when we go to this place, you're sleeping in people's houses. I'm like, I don't want to sleep in the house of somebody I don't know. You know, can we just sleep in the church on the floor or something like that? Well, there's no showers at the church. I'm like, I'm a teenage boy. I'm okay with being stinky. But no, no, you're going to sleep in somebody's house and they'll probably have a bed for you, at least a couch. It'll be better than sleeping on the floor. You know, Sam's trying to reason with me like a 14, 15 year old boy, nervous about staying in the house of somebody I don't know. And uh, guess what? The first house we ever stayed in set it for me for the rest of eternity. These people were so gracious and so loving and so kind. They treated us like, you know, little snot-nosed teenage kings or something like that. I mean, they made us a fancy breakfast. They made sure that we had a really nice bed and everything was just perfect. And, you know, had the little towel and washcloth setting out in the bathroom for you and all that kind of stuff. And the bed was even turned down. There was not a chocolate on the pillow, but I didn't know about that back then. I mean, I was like, wow, this feels pretty nice. I think I can dig staying in other people's houses. Now, not everybody's that sort of hospitable. But the point that I'm making with that is to echo Paul's point. He talks about in verse 15, a fellow that did him wrong. We won't give any more glory than that. That treated him poorly. But he echoes that with the opposite side in verse 16, 17, and 18 where he talks about on is for us, like one is for us, is the way I remember it. Or Onisiphorus is another way that people say it. 
Then Onesiphorus took care of him and gave him a place to stay when he was in Ephesus. But then also when Onesiphorus came to Rome, presumptively on business, he sought out where Paul was at, what prison he was staying in, and he ministered to Paul while he was in prison. He's saying he went above and beyond to show Christian hospitality to me, a minister of the gospel. So friends, I'm not just telling you to have your guest room ready for when we have a mission team come this summer so some teenagers can stay in your basement or whatever. I am telling you that all of us as believers in Jesus have a duty, according to the Scripture, to be faithful to other believers in Jesus and support them in sharing the gospel. Whether they have the job of a missionary or a pastor or whether it's just a brother or sister in Christ at our church, that we love them in such a way that they are encouraged. That's the bottom line. So you've got two concluding questions. The first one is, How can I best guard what God has entrusted to me? For you personally right now, not the person next to you on the pew or that guy over there that you wonder about, but right now for you today, how can you best guard what God has entrusted to you? What is it that he may have said to you you need to do differently as you've listened to the sermon this morning? And then the second question, you've heard of BYOB, right? Bring your own beverage. This is FYOB, fill your own blank, okay? Look at what it says. Who do I know in need of the blank of the gospel? I forgot to tell Karen Dejabay that that blank was supposed to be blank, so she dutifully, because she's Karen, texts me on Friday, my day off, and says, what's supposed to go in the blank in the last question? I'm like, it's a fill your own blank. So here's the question. Let's talk about it. Who do I need to Who do I know in need of the hope of the gospel? Who do I know in need of the truth of the gospel? Who do I know in need of the salvation of the gospel? Who do I need uh, know in need of the faith of the gospel? Fill in the blank with the characteristic you know and the person you know. Which begs the question, now what are you going to do about it? Are you, based on what we heard today, about guarding the trust by the power of the Holy Spirit within you through the grace of God that's changed you, going to share that gospel message with the person that's in your mind right now, this week, today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you. We're humbled by what we consider and what we hear from your word, that because of your great love for us, You saved us, but then you call us to be a part of the salvation of others. That's pretty cool, pretty humbling as well. But then you also remind us it's not something we do on our own, but it's by your spirit and through your power that we're enabled to love and to serve others and share the gospel with them. So, Father, as we seek to guard the trust within our own life, help us not guard it as a trust that we don't talk about or don't share, but it is something that we celebrate and live in such a way that we have the privilege of making a difference in the lives of others. So, Father, whoever it is you've put on our mind that we need to share a gospel message with this week, the good news of Jesus, would we do that maybe even this afternoon? Certainly throughout this week. And God, we pray for any soul here today 
who knows that they've never trusted Christ as their Savior and accepted the good news that God loves them and He'll save them if they commit their life to follow Him. Would they do that even now? Father, whatever we need to do, may we obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.